Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Michelle Hennessy, and this week, what do the recent extreme temperatures tell us about future Irish summers? This week, Ireland recorded its hottest temperature in 135 years, with Met Erin reporting a scorching 33 degrees Celsius at Dublin's Phoenix Park. While many have been enjoying the sunny weather, The public has been warned to take care due to the risk of heat stress and exhaustion caused by these kinds of temperatures, particularly in a country that's not used to intense heat. But there are wider concerns, not just about Ireland's mini heatwave, but about the extreme temperatures experienced across Europe recently, causing deaths in some countries. Climate scientists have said that while periods of intense heat do happen with natural weather patterns, they're becoming more frequent, more severe, and they're lasting longer because of climate change. In the UK, forecasters are predicting summer temperatures of above 40 degrees in the future if action isn't taken to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So what does the European heatwave tell us about Ireland's summers to come? And what's being done to tackle the world's rising temperatures? To talk us through it, I'm joined by Peter Thorne, coordinating lead author on the recent report from the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and Professor of Physical Geography at Maynooth University. Peter, you're very welcome. Hello. Now, I want to start by asking you about the heat wave we've seen all across Europe. What are the record-breaking or unusual things we've seen? Well, this event is off the charts unusual, um, not just here in Ireland, where it's broken at least 135 years record. In my view, it's broken the all-time record because the Kilkenny Castle observation is highly questionable. But in the UK, in major, in major parts of Europe, all-time records have tumbled across the board at many, many locations, including the UK national record, which for the first time breached 40 degrees centigrade. This is unprecedented in the observational record, which goes back in the UK for at least two to 300 years. How out of line is all of this with how Ireland's and Europe's climate should be? The the climate we should have, there was a recent paper last year pointing out that a 40 degrees uh, centigrade reading in the UK in the counterfactual world where we had not had an industrial revolution and had not burned all those fossil fuels, it should have been about a one in a million chance. So it's not just that we're loading the dice to roll sixes, it's that we're fundamentally starting to paint sevens on the dice and roll them in addition. So this is really unprecedented. It would have been impossible without human influence for much of the magnitude, at least, of the event to have occurred. And when you look at the temperatures we've seen, not just in Ireland, but particularly, say, in the UK, in countries like Greece, France and Spain, where they're battling to contain wildfires, Is this what climate scientists have been expecting or is it happening at a faster pace? It's absolutely what both what we've seen in the recent historical record and what we're expecting to get worse as we move forwards. The Working Group 1 report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change made very, very clear that we expect extremes of heat, but also of precipitation, rainfall, if you like, drought, all to get more frequent, more severe in a changing climate. So this is entirely in line with the expectations that we have and that increasingly as the climate signal becomes large, we start seeing these events that would have been frankly impossible without human influence upon the climate system. 
And I mentioned earlier that it is the case that you can have periods of extreme heat in natural weather patterns. So how much of this can we attribute to climate change and how much of it is down to unique weather patterns? So heat waves are inevitably a result of weather. What human influence is doing is changing the probability of the events and the magnitude of the events. And there's a whole branch of science that's grown up over the past decade or so called event attribution that looks specifically at this problem. And its findings for heat waves in particular is that time after time, those heat waves have been made more frequent, more severe due to climate change. We have made them X times more likely, typically two to 10 to 20 times more likely. And we've made them equally more severe when they do occur. So it's weather being supercharged by climate change. It's like having a having a baseball player on steroids who hits more home runs in a season. They would have hit a number of the home runs, but they hit more because they're on steroids. And climate change is a little like that. We're, we're, we're supercharging the weather. So how much does being an island shield us here in Ireland from some of the more extreme temperatures? Being an island absolutely shields us from many of the extremes that are seen in in more sensitive areas of the the climate system, the continent of Europe. We don't see hurricanes. We don't see many of the severe events that we see in many other parts of the world. That doesn't mean that we don't have impacts. And one of the things to make very, very abundantly clear is that we are not set up for the type of climate event that we saw. It may have only been 33 degrees centigrade, but there will be many of your, uh, many of the people listening to this who struggled even with that heat to keep their homes cool, um, for example. So it's indicative that we're not adapted to the climate that we are now seeing. And anecdotally, I'm sure we've all heard people in the last week saying they remember summers in their own childhood that at least felt as warm or warmer than this. So what's your answer to people who point out that we've had this type of heat before in Ireland? And according to Medeiron's observational record, we've had one event that was warmer than that we've seen this week. I would argue that that event, while it was undoubtedly warm, was probably not as warm as the 33.3 degrees centigrade that's implied from the Kilkenny Castle record. And therefore, arguably, we have just lived through the warmest heat wave in our observed history as an island. And it's not just that we've lived through that. We had the summer of 2018, which was similarly hot, 32 degrees down in the southwest of Ireland and a much more extended period of warmth and drought. We see these events, the severity of these events increasing, their frequency increasing through time. So, yes, there were warm summers. Of course, there were warm summers. There were also cool summers. And we won't, climate change doesn't mean that that won't continue to happen. But what we consider to be warm now, in 50 years' time, our children might consider to be cool. That's the reality of climate change is we are changing the, the nature of the game that we're living in. And you mentioned doubt over how Ireland's hottest temperature was actually recorded at Kilkenny Castle in 1887. Why is it questionable? 
So we had a, a class of master's students uh, given this as an assignment uh, in 2019-2020. It's based upon uh, the work that the World Meteorological Organization has done to reassess numerous world, world and regional record temperatures, but also things like lightning strike length, uh, wind storms, a whole host of records. And the World Meteorological Organization teams go through and they look at it systematically. They look at what do we know about the observation. They look, look at what can we tell from retrospective reanalyses. These are weather forecast models run with historical observations back in time. Um, and they also look at neighboring stations and they go, well, is the, is the record consistent with what was happening around the station at the time? So what we did was we went back, or the students did, was they went back and they looked at this 1887 record. And we have a, large, a reasonably large number of stations on the island of Ireland that were also taking observations on that date and that take them now. And we have a, we have a station, not the Kilkenny Castle station, but a station in Kilkenny City that takes observations today. So we looked at the distribution of what do we expect the difference, daily difference between Phoenix Park or Galway or Beer or, or Roaches Point and Kilkenny Castle to be. And when you look at it that way, the Kilkenny Castle was so far removed from the distribution of what we would expect a typical daily difference to be, that it is highly, highly questionable. We also know very, very little about the Kilkenny Castle observation record. There are contemporary documentary evidence from the 1800s, but there is very little that we absolutely know about that record. So on numerous bases, I would question that record. And if we move back to the current heat wave, what type of infrastructure problems have countries experienced because of these recent intense temperatures? Oh, there have been massive um, changes. Just look at our uh, look at our neighbour to the east. Um, they had massive fires, including on the rural suburban interface, burning down houses in London. Um, they had rail. Their rail had to close because the rails buckled. Uh, they had huge demand for electricity. It was the busiest day for the fire brigade service in the UK since World War II. So there are massive, massive impacts of this. Uh, it will take time, but we will get uh, excess death data from the UK. We already have some indication from Spain and Portugal that there were probably a thousand or so excess deaths amongst the population from heat stress. Um, so there are very real impacts upon infrastructure, but also upon people. And what exactly is needed then, say, in Ireland, for example, to deal with the challenges that we're going to have over the, the next few years and, and next few decades? And do we know how much that'll cost? So adaptation, which is future proofing our infrastructure, is very much the poor relation uh, in our policy framework presently. And uh, as the Climate Council Adaptation Ch Committee Chair, we put in to the National Adaptation Framework just yesterday, um, our input pointing out that we need to go from planning to implementation and we need absolutely a budget for that. 
it's about future-proofing ourselves. It's no, there's no point in being wise after the fact. Um, we know that these events will occur. We know that extremes of temperature and precipitation will occur. We know that storm surges will occur. We need to get ahead of the game. So we protect our citizens, protect our critical assets from these impacts rather than being wise after the fact. And what does that future proofing look like in practice? So the future proofing is multifaceted. It's from individuals making adaptation decisions. So if you retrofit your home to a higher energy rating, it probably makes it uh, less prone to overheating in a heat wave, for example, down to large engineered solutions, but also critically nature-based solutions. Um, for example, to cope with extremes of water, so too much rainfall or too little rainfall, re-wetting our peat box is a major win, not only for mitigation, because they will stop emitting carbon dioxide, but also from an adaptation viewpoint, because when it rains too much, they act like a big sponge, soaking up much of that water, avoiding it going down into our rivers and flooding houses in the floodplains of rivers. Um, but also they store that water and then they release it over a long time, which makes us less susceptible to drought. So it's both hard engineered and nature-based solutions and it's at all scales from actions by individuals up to actions that protect cities and huge swathes of our countryside. And when we look at what's been happening this summer, is that an indication that the winter this year could also bring extreme weather in Ireland or is that just a given anyway? So you could, the summer isn't really telling us anything meteorologically about the winter, but we do know that climate change itself is changing the nature of both our summers and our winters and the probabilities of extreme events of different types and different times of year. So it doesn't tell us anything directly about the winter, but it is uh, indicative of the issues that we're facing. And what level of certainty do we have with climate models now? There's a lot of talk of things already being worse than expected. So how well can we predict the coming decades? Models are, models are, are always improving, but models are imperfect representations of a very complex reality. And models do better generally at the thermal aspects of the climate than at the hydrological aspects. By that I mean they do better predicting temperatures, heat waves, uh, or the changing nature of heat waves, cold, cold snaps, than they do about, about precipitation. And also they do better for the large scale than they do necessarily for the local scale. Anyone who's selling you our number for 2050 is selling you fundamentally snake oil. There is um, a range of outcomes that relates in part and in large part to our choices between now and 2050, but also critically in part relates to the fundamental limitations of models. And that's why it's so important that we consider and embrace the uncertainty, the irreducible uncertainty in the projections of the future.
And what can we take from these models about Ireland's future summers? Can we expect all of our summers from now on to bring this kind of intense heat for a certain period of time? We can certainly expect more, more, more occurrences of this, but we cannot expect this to be an annual reoccurrence. Climate is not, climate change alters weather, it does not kill weather. So weather will still occur, we will still have summers that are not the summers people would wish to have. We will still, we will also have summers that will have one or more heat waves probably of greater severity and or longevity than we've had in the, in this this very brief snap of hot weather that we've had so it's climate change is not a, not some kind of given predictable you can bank that you could take your take your summer holidays in in the sunny southeast knowing that well it will be sunny every summer that's not how this is going to work out climate change is subtly shifting or not so subtly shifting the probability of different types of weather events, but it does not change the fact that we have highly variable weather as a mid-latitude island location on the edge of the ocean. And when we talk about the trajectory of climate change, are we now past the point of no return? Is there a point of no return? There is never a point of no return uh, in terms of avoiding additional impacts. So even if we stop emitting greenhouse gases somehow magically tomorrow, well, the first thing is if we stop emitting greenhouse gases magically tomorrow, temperature precipitation would very rapidly stabilize. Um, So the first thing to note is that our, our past emissions are responsible for the warming we've seen to date. Our future emissions, our future choices are responsible for how much worse it's going to get into the future. That's true for temperature and precipitation, less so sadly for sea level rise, which is a multi-millennial process, requires the oceans and the great ice sheets to catch up with the damage we've already done to the climate system. So that's the first part of, of the answer. Um, so the climate change overall is, is going to continue to march its merry way unless and until we stop emitting the greenhouse gases. And how much worse fundamentally depends upon what choices we make. There will still be multi-annual, even multi-decadal variability on top arising from slow signals in the oceans. So it's a kind of a difficult one to answer fully. And are there any signs that the work that different countries are doing to reduce emissions is actually paying off? Or is that something that will only be measurable generations on from us? So we, the IPCC makes clear that, uh, that a detectable uh, benefit of mitigation efforts might be detectable in global mean surface temperature in of the in in of the order 20 years but for other variables and at other scales it might be take much longer to discern that benefit and of course it requires verification about against the counterfactual world that we will not have lived which is the one where we would not have undertaken the stringent mitigation actions what we can tell you absolutely is that unless we unless and until we reach net zero carbon dioxide emissions 
and unless and until we reduce methane emissions and keep them reduced, we will continue to see warming. But the climate simulations show that if we undertake really stringent mitigation, which means halving methane by 2050 and keeping it reduced, getting to net zero carbon dioxide on the same time scale, and then having net negative carbon dioxide, which means drawing carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and storing it in geological storage spaces, that we could stabilize the climate within the lifetime of today's junior infants. A lot of the solutions here are big picture. They require serious commitment and actual follow through from governments. And we know also that large companies are responsible for a huge amount of emissions. But for anyone listening to this and feeling a bit at a loss, what's one thing they can do to help in their own lives that would have the greatest impact? So the, the greatest impact is actually understanding what harm your individual choices do, educating yourself about what your carbon footprint is and where that carbon footprint arises from, and then undertaking efforts to try to reduce that over time. So um, a colleague in Georgia Tech, uh, Kim Cobb, she gave this to her students about five years ago. And she was shocked at what her carbon footprint was. And she's every year she's tried to take an additional action that reduces her personal carbon footprint. And if we all did something like that, we would start having a, a measurable basis. But you're right that the individual, many of these things are large scale. So we can do certain amount as individuals, but we cannot do it all. We do require government, industry and others to play their part and we need to make sure that they do. Well, I think you've given people a lot to think about there, Peter. Thanks so much for digging into the topic with us today. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who listened to this episode of The Explainer. And thanks again to Peter for joining me. This episode was brought to you by producers Eva Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you liked what you heard and you want to support The Explainer, there are a few things you can do. You can head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber or you can leave us a rating and a review as well if you're feeling generous, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.